Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Your Saltwater Guide with another phenomenal podcast for you today. Today is Okuma Wednesday. We've been doing this show for a very long time. Wednesdays have always been Akuma's show, and today is no exception. We got we got that Alejos two-speed reel we're going to talk about a little bit more today. We're going to show you a little bit more about this reel today. I got a cool little video with John Bretza for you to watch in a little bit. But the Alejos two-speed reel, this 12, is what we're going to be talking about today on the show. We'll get into that in a little bit. We got our good friend Bill Varney sitting on the sidelines waiting to jump in here. We got all kinds of cool stuff to talk about today. There's all kinds of weather and tide and just a lot of craziness going on out on the water right now. So we'll get into that in just a minute. I want to let you all know I'm going to be at the Bard Hall Show. Bill and I will be talking about that. We'll throw up a QR code in a little bit, how you can save some tickets on that. And I don't want you to forget. We're giving away $1,000 US dollars to one lucky person that catches the largest lobster this year on one of our guide trips with Justin or Pablo or one of our open party trips with Justin or Pablo. We're going to give away $1,000 US dollars on March 20th. And the good news, gang, is Justin's boat is fixed. He's out doing a sea trial right now. He'll call in after the show and let us know that everything's going good on the boat or everything's not going good. We will find out later today. We'll have full story for you tomorrow on the show on Thursday when Kelly Girl joins us on the show. But Justin will make a guest celebrity appearance if everything's going good on the boat. Talk about the kids trip he's got Friday night. He'll talk about open party trips coming up. So you don't want to miss any of that tomorrow. And then we got Cliff Gray on the show on Friday, phenomenal hunter, phenomenal spear fisherman, lobster hunter. He's he's a big deal. He just got done doing the Joe Rogan show. I'm super happy that he's going to be with us on our show. And then we're going to bring in another super special guest next week. We'll talk about as we get closer to next week who that special guest is. But we're bringing in a bunch of really cool guests. And uh, your saltwater guide flags at any of the shows? Absolutely. We'll have our flags there. John? But hey, without any further ado, because we have him sitting on the sidelines, we need him to get involved in this so he can get warmed up because I think it's a little cold right now where he's at. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. Woo! Great to be here. Thank Woo! you, Dave. <laughs> Bill Barney, everyone. Surf fishing guru, dude. Great to be here today. He's trying to stay warm. It's a good day. So there's something weird they're talking about on the news right now. And I was like, oh, how perfect is this? Bill's going to be on the show today. They're talking. This is a big thing they're talking about. King Tide. This King Tide thing. Can Maybe you can help us all to understand what the heck they're talking about. What do they mean? Well, I sure, I sure can try. I can try at least. Um, well, let, let me get on my soapbox for a second here about King Tides. Uh, 
nomenclature boy that's a big word right nomenclature that that would be like the common expressions used for things okay there's no such thing as a king tie that is a made-up name that was made up by meteorologists i'm sure because they couldn't think of anything else <laughs> intelligent to say on their report about high tides and, and low tides um tides like this are known as astronomical tides and the, and the reason that they're called astronomical, which is the scientific name for them, um, astronomical tides, is because the tide, whether it's high tide or low tide or medium tide, it's all um, uh, it's all associated with, and especially its its size, by the relationship between the Earth and the Earth spinning, rotating on its axis, and then its distance from it to the sun or it to the moon. So the closer the moon is and the sun is to the earth, the higher the tide is on the opposite side of the earth. And the farther away it is, the higher the tide is on the side that um, the, the planets are farther away from. So tides are, are really astronomical. They're determined by the position of earth in comparison to the sun and the moon. And that's why every like 12 hours and 24 minutes, roughly, you have a tide change is when you have this rotation of the earth and the moon and the sun that changes so over the next few days of course tomorrow uh tomorrow which is thursday we have a new moon which is of course when the moon is gone no moon day and around that we have these astronomical tides this time of year we have tides in in jan in december and january which is our largest tidal swings of the year so that's going to certainly happen today tomorrow and the next day and when you look at the tides, I think the high was around 6.9. So let's just say seven feet. The minus was like one and a half feet. You add those two together, you've got about an eight and a half foot change in the tide where you're normally going to have maybe a four foot change in the tide. So you've got some very, very big tide changes. And of course, depending on, go on where you go in the world, the tide change can be bigger or smaller. So the closer you get to the equator, which of course is the bulge of the earth, the less the tide will go up and down. And then the farther you get away from the bulge, which would be the North and the South Pole, the more the tide will change, like in the Bay of Fundy. So for example, if you were to look on any one of the tons of ca cameras that are in Cornwall, England, of course, Cornwall, England is the, um, that would be the western side side of the UK, which is, of course, England, the UK is a big island, um, would be on the western side of it from about halfway down England, all the way down and around to the English Channel. That's the Cornwall area. You've got daily tides there that change by 17 feet, 17 feet. So you have really, really big tide, tide changes down there. And all of those tide changes, they affect catching bait, catching fish, um, the, the movement of the water, currents, all kinds of different things. So really over the next three days, we're going to have these astronomical tides. And not only is it going to affect fishing, surf fishing and offshore fishing, but also it's going to cause some flooding in, in um, places like Surfside, Seal Beach, Newport Beach, areas like that, which are, you know, were built on in a day where <laughs> where there wasn't an astronomical tide you know they should have built those towns on the big tide days so they knew how high the water was going to come up so that's what we're going to see over the next few days and that's going to be mitigated over the middle of the month and then as we get toward the end of the month we have a full moon and we'll have these huge tide changes again 
So we're going to hear this because we do every time it happens. So I just want you to jump in front of it real quick. It has nothing to do with the the polar ice caps melting, right? Because they're going to say that. They're going to say it tomorrow when Newport's all flooded. That's what they're going to say, Bill. So please help everybody out here and let them know it has nothing to do with the ice melting at the polar ice caps. Sorry, gang. Well, you just it, it 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 probably doesn't. I mean, of course, we're not scientists, so we don't know everything. And of course, most of the scientists we know don't know a, a lot of stuff either. But, you know, when you think about the ice caps, whether it's at Antarctica or the North Pole melting, of course, when they melt, that makes a volume of area available for the water. I mean, just think about it. You have this giant piece of ice, which is like when you when you get a cup of water, so you got a cup of water here and you add a couple ice cubes to it, the level of water goes up, right? So when you remove that ice and it melts, the level of water stays the same. It's just in a different form. So although some of that ice is above the water, in general, when that when the ice calves off, it opens up a new area that it, so substantially for a few moments, the water level drops. And then as the ice melts, the water level rises back up to its normal height. Um, there's been a lot of evidence about how the North Pole, the ice has been melting. There's no question about certain areas where ice is melting. But at the same time, something they never talk about is the fact that in Antarctica, the bottom of the planet, the ice shelf is increasing. So is one offsetting the other one? Only scientists will know that for sure. Um, all I know is like what has happened over my life. And, you know, Dave, as you know, like I grew up in the South Bay. I, I spent my life surfing in Hermosa Beach and Palos Verdes. And there are tons of places that I have surfed for 60 years that I go down and stand on the same rock and jump off that rock at high tide to paddle out to where I'm going to surf that is still in, has the same amount of water at it today as it had 60 years ago. So, you know, is the water level going to rise? What effect is that going to have? Who knows? But what I do know is that places like um, Terminal Island in Long Beach, which was an excellent name for Terminal Island, um, the airport in Japan, um, New Orleans, these are all places that were built on marshes that are sinking. And they're saying, oh, the ocean's rising around them. It's going to flood in. Well, they're actually sinking. I mean, the ocean level is staying relatively the same. There might be a quarter inch difference or half an inch or something, but the ground is sinking like a foot a year. So a lot of this ocean rise has more to do with us building in the wrong places uh, than it does from ice caps melting. Gotcha. That, that helps tremendously to get in front of that narrative because that's where they're going to go tonight when new parts underwater. But hey, Let's get back into talking about fishing. So is this king tide good? Or excuse me, is this astronomical tide? Let's use the proper verbiage. Is this astronomical <laughs> tide good for the fishing? I know the answer, but a lot of people want to know. So what what, do you, what does Bill say? Because we're going to get a lot of waves too tonight with all the wind. So high tide, a lot of, yes. lot of waves. Yeah. It's going to be pretty good, huh? That, that's a there's a, there's a lot to talk about there for sure. Um, let, let's just start with the tide. 
for example. In, in the surf fishing world, you have positives and you have negatives about astronomical tides or, or uh, minus tides or, or excessive high tides, whatever you wish to call them. One would be, let's, uh, let's look on the glass half full, which is how I always look at everything anyway, um, is that when we have these astronomical low tides, so we're going to have an afternoon tide today that's going to be a negative 1.6 or 1.7 tide. That would mean that, so if, I'm, if I am somewhere in Orange County, I'm going to load up my car and I am driving down to the Newport Jetties. And today at that, at around that peak, so maybe a, an hour before to an hour after that astronomical low tide, I'm going to be hiking out next to those jetties, but there's about seven jetties in a row down there. And I'm going to fish one and then not get bit, go to the next one, so on and so forth, not stay at one. But I'm going to wait till that low tide. I'm around that low tide and I'm going to be able to creep out on that dry sand or lightly wet sand almost to the end of that jetty that's now going to be almost out of water. And I'm going to be able to get an angle at that jetty to be able to cast out right in front of it, an area I could never get to before, and slowly retrieve my bait across the bottom there where I've got rocks on one side, meeting sand right there, right on that edge. And on that edge, I'm going to be able to fish for fish or catch fish, most likely, that are going to normally be in anywhere from like 8 to 20 feet of water much deeper area that now I can reach. And the same is true in particular for halibut fishing. A lot of times with halibut, they're not like your common surfish that stages way inside in that inshore trough where it's all getting churned up and their food's there and they can hide in there. Halibut don't need to hide. There's not another fish that really eats halibut. So they're going to be in deeper water. They're going to be in shallow water. They're going to be up against the shore. At these astronomical low tides, especially in places like San Alejo and San Diego, Malibu, Santa Barbara, um, Ventura County Line, all along those areas. There's a whole bunch of rocks that are offshore, and there may be one or two rocks by themselves, not a big reef, but like individual rocks, and then sand, another rock. You'll be able to get out close to those, if not close walking, close or next to them casting. And those are areas that are often going to hold big halibut right up against those rocks that you normally can't fish at a regular tide or regular low tide or certainly at a high tide. So these astronomical low tides give you the opportunity to go out on beaches that are undredged, beaches you, you normally can't fish because the tide is there's too much water there and reach areas you normally weren't able to reach. So certainly that's one of the benefits of, of the astronomical tides. Then when we look at the high tide, the opposite is true. So if I'm looking at a beach that's a dredged beach, even, even some that are not dredged, like, like much of Newport is not dredged and hasn't been for years, um, but dredged beach like Huntington Beach, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, Redondo, um, Dockweiler, um, Santa Monica, all of those zones. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna go perch fishing today, I'm looking at that tide chart, which is showing me that that high tide is in the morning, and I'm going an hour before that astronomical high tide to an hour after that astronomical high tide, when all of that water is filled in and it's covering all of the holes and all of the troughs close to shore, but it's also giving the ocean a chance for the first time in a while since there's been a big tide like that to carve out that what would previously be dry sand and find new feet, new food for the fish, which will churn up in that water on the way inside. And you'll find 90% of the fish within probably 20 feet of the beach. So that's a couple looks at the positives of astronomical tides. 
And then the negative on astronomical tides is that you have to be somewhat cognizant and somewhat careful of the water movement that creates a current. So if you fish in there, so let's take, for example, um, the Bologna wetlands or the Bolsa Chica um, uh, uh, jetties there, um, estuary there, or Santa Ana River or San Diego's lagoons. When that tide drops way down like that and quickly at the mouth of those going out or in, depending whether it's high tide coming in or low tide going out, you're going to have like a 10 mile an hour current nothing's biting in the 10 mile an hour current. It's not that they're hungry, but your bait, you know, it's like, like not anchored to the bottom. Even if it was, that wouldn't help. It's going by the fish so quickly. And of course the water is going to be turbid caused by that current that it's difficult for them to catch up with it. So in times where we have these really big tidal changes like this, I normally won't fish like the mouth of an estuary, mouth of a harbor, uh, mouth of a river, river mouth opening, because there's way too much current going on there. So, Rob, I don't know if you've seen him. He wants to know, when are you coming back to Michigan, Bill? When are you coming back to Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> Not right now. It's you know, I'm cold, huh? That's right. You know, a couple of years ago, I visited my buddy um, there for the Super Bowl. Um, so that was like the first week in February, and it was minus 35. It was that the polar vortex or whatever come there, so it was cold. Um, I hope to come back soon to Michigan. I love Michigan. Um, such a beautiful state. Um, parts of it I don't like so much on the east, but on western Michigan, it's absolutely beautiful along the lake there. And uh, Michigan's got some fantastic fishing for smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, pike, panfish, you name it. Um, I'm really lucky. I have a friend there who um, has a farm. I have several friends who have farms there, but in western Michigan. One has had the farm for over 200 years handed down through his family. And the Rabbit River, which is probably about, gosh, about 60 feet wide, I'd say, runs right through his land. He basically owns that part of the river. And he's not an angler. He invited me about seven years ago with my buddy Mark to go fishing and have some beers with him down there. And we immediately caught some probably two pound, three pound smallmouth bass right out of the river. There, it was just loaded with them, steelhead, and all this stuff. So, Michigan's got some great fishing and some really great people there for yeah, sure. Sounds like it. So, Bill, we got all kinds of people asking questions and stuff. And I'm going to take this one question from my friend John Stanley who texted it to me. Why do we call the short, the lobsters that are just short, we call them clickers? It's because when you put the gauge on them, John, you can feel it click in and out. If it's clicking in and out of the carabas, then it's short. So we call them clickers because the, the gauge is clicking. That's why we call them clickers. All right. So that is the real reason. And as you watch Justin on the live shows, you'll see him. It's a clicker and they're putting that gauge on there and it's actually making a clicking sound. So that's why we call them clickers. Gang, Bill loves to answer your questions. So feel free to send in your questions on the comments or you can text them to me at 949-374-0786. We'll do our very best to answer the questions. Bill, you saw that perch that I threw up there on the screen for a minute because you mentioned perch. Now, are we going to see this type of perch? What kind of perch is this? And is this a perch that we can catch during this astronomical tide? 
A- absolutely. That that's a barred surf perch. That's your most common perch that you're going to find in in the waters in California. Really, they really occur from, gosh, you know, about Half Moon Bay to Cedros Island, maybe around that that zone. Not Natavadad down there. Um, the only difference with them when you get above that and above um, San Francisco is the red tail surf perch, which are very very similar to to bard. They just look a tiny bit different. Um, but this time of year, we're we're normally targeting three different types of surf perch: the walleye, the bard, and the calico surf perch. And and all those there, uh, and that's the calico. And you can tell by those spots on it rather than just having st- uh, lines on it like the barred surf perch has, the calico's got spots on it there. Um, and then the walleye surf perch, it's really well known because of its large eye and its small body. Um, the state of California does not have a state record e- either for the calico or the, uh, well, I'm not sure on the calico, but for the walleye for sure. And it says in the, in the regulations that any um, walleye bigger than two pounds would be a record. If you caught a two-pound walleye, that would be a record. I don't think anybody's ever ever caught something like that. It, it would say that would be like uh, finding a 200-pound mussel. Very, very unusual. So these are the three fish we love to fish for in the surf in the in the winter time. And um, if you'd like me to take a couple of minutes, Dave, I can talk about you know where to go and target those fish. Oh, absolutely. We're all, we all want to know, every one of us, because of the fact that the weather is garbage this afternoon, it's going to be gnarly and it's going to leave a leftover lump like we can't even comprehend with the amount of wind they're calling for this afternoon and the king tide. So we're going to need to go surf fishing. So yeah, can you help us out? Where can I catch that guy? Well, you know, the first thing that you want to put in your toolbox when it comes to surf fishing in the winter in Southern California is, remember, all these swells we're seeing are coming out of the west or out of the northwest. So if you work to look on your beach cam um, of Huntington Beach, I mean, excuse me, of, uh, of, of Santa Monica or Hermosa Beach, the surf between now and let's say the end of middle of April is going to be much larger on those beaches than beaches that you go to that are facing south. So Huntington Beach faces south. There's a couple beaches in San Diego that have a southern fetch to them. Their swell is going to be smaller there. But my favorite place to fish this time of year for the next couple of months would be along the Malibu coast. And I'm not talking down by the Malibu Pier or by where Topanga uh, Canyon comes and meets PCH there. I'm talking about above um, where all the Hollywood stars live, Um, La Piedras, uh, Matador Beach, Leo Carrillo Beach, all of those beaches, they actually, the coast turns there and faces to the south. So when these swells come down from the north, rather than hitting those beaches directly, they actually kind of go around those beaches. And maybe if the swell is five feet high in Hermosa Beach, it's one to two feet high in those areas. And so what will happen is a lot of times perch will congregate in those areas because there's enough movement of water for them to feed, but there's not so much surf and overturn of the water for them to decide that, hey, you know, they're going to go inside a harbor or somewhere like that and not feed. So this fish that we're looking at right now, the calico surf perch, those are very hard to find. Um, And what's interesting about them is that they almost always congregate around rock structure offshore. You almost never catch them on an open beach like Hermosa Beach or Manhattan Beach or somewhere. They're almost always around rocks. 
And when they find that one rock that they're going to be around, they congregate in large numbers around that rock. So you could fish that rock and get one every cast and then walk 100 yards down the beach and fish another rock and not get a single bite of the calico surf perch. So once again, you, you want to look for beaches that face south. A really good thing to do is just go on Google Earth in your zone that you like to, depending where you live, figure out where you like to go fishing, go on Google Earth, look at the lay of the land and try to find the beaches that have a tendency to, to face south. And that's where you're going to be protected. The other place that you can be somewhat protected would be in, in this time of year on the southern side of most jetties. Because remember, the, the swell is going to come from the northwest. And because you're on the opposite side of the jetty, the jetty is going to shield a lot of that swell. And the fish are going to accumulate on that opposite side of the jetty. Because near the tip of that jetty, it's going to create an eddy circulation out there because the water comes around. And as it slows down, it makes a circle. And in that eddy circulation, it's going to be food that will begin to drop to the bottom there. And that's where the fish will stay as they, as they feed. So south-facing beaches. And areas where you're on the south side of a jetty is where you're going to get your best luck for the perch. And then as far as perch are concerned, very, very simple to set up for them. Use the Carolina rig. So if I'm going out on the open beach and my swell is, you know, like waist high or, or higher, I'm going to use a half ounce or a three-quarter ounce sliding sinker. I'm going to use 20 inches or so of fluorocarbon leader, a very sharp hook. I'm going to use a Gamagatsu uh, 50409, which is a split shot hook or an owner mosquito light hook, a number two size. And then bait wise, we're out of the sand crab time of year for sure now. So we're gonna use a lug worm, a blood worm, a ghost shrimp, a, a piece of, um, and particularly the lip of mussel. Those are the type of things that we're gonna use this time of year along with, with grubs and gulp baits to entice the fish to bite. Now, the difference on that, and this is really an important part. So whether you're like fishing on top of a jetty or whether you're, you're like me where I'm looking for these big rocks offshore that are within casting distance that I know basically are surrounded by sand and I want to cast up literally right against right. Like it, if it's up to me, I am casting and I'm hitting the front of the rock with my sinker and my bait is falling straight down because as that wave wraps around the rock, those fish are going to be on the inside of that rock on my side of the rock, uh, not only you know protecting themselves from the surf, but of course food's going to be going in there. If I'm fishing like that, or if I'm standing on a jetty and I'm fishing, I'm never casting away from the jetty. I'm always casting a couple feet off of the rocks in front of me, right where the sand meets the rocks underwater is where I want to fish. I'm going to take my Carolina rig and I am going to downsize both my sinker and my leader. My sinker, I'm going to fish now an eighth of an ounce sinker instead of a half ounce or three quarter ounce, which I'd use on the open beach. I'm going to go to one eighth of an ounce of a sinker. If I can find a one sixteenth ounce, I'm going to use that. I'm going to set it up on my Carolina rig and my leader for my swivel to my hook is going to be 10 or 12 inches. Very, very short. And so when I cast out on that rock and that sinks to the bottom, I have a very lightweight and I have a very short leader. If I have a long leader, it's going to be swinging around in the surf out there and wrap around a rock or kelp or stuff out it, that's out there. If I have a sinker that's any heavier than eighth of an ounce, it will find a way to wedge itself in between rocks. 
if I have a very, very light sinker, whether I'm on the jetty or I get snagged on the rock that's offshore, I can eight out of 10 times just jiggle the tip of my rod. Of course, once again, we're fishing these, these seven to nine foot rods. So they have a very limber tip and I can bounce that tip and that light sinker will bounce right out of there eight out of 10 times. So on the open beach, three quarter ounce, half ounce sliding sinker. Fishing near or on rocks, an eighth ounce sliding sinker, very short leader, maybe even as little as 10 inches long. And when you are fishing those rocks, so you're standing on the jetty fishing the rock, or like I said, you cast out to that rock that's in front of you, you always want to stay tight to your sinker. You always want to fill, even if you're reeling in, your sinker at all times, because the second you get bit, you want to reel down and lift your rod up. Surfish are not like perch and excuse me, like um, trout and other fish that nibble on your bait. So like I'm trout fishing and I put my, I sit down on the rocks, let's say I'm the lake and I put my rod in the, in between two rocks and I get bit and I said, you know, I'm going to let it get that bait down its throat a little bit, get a couple, three nibbles on it before I reel down and lift my rod up. Surf fishing is not like that at all. Surfish inhale their food. They crush it in the back of their throat. They spit all the pieces out and they eat the individual pieces that don't have your hook in it. How do you know that? It's because when you put a sand crab on and you cast that sand crab out in the summer, bam, 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 you get a couple of good bites and like, wow, and I not get the fish. And you reel in and you've got the shell, you've got some of the legs left, but all the eggs are gone and a couple of the legs are gone, but the hook is still right there. You think to yourself, how did they eat? You know, they have like a parrot beak how do they eat around that hook it's because they crushed it in their throat and those legs and those eggs came off and they just ate those and they let the thing with the metal in it so as soon as you get bit you want to reel down and lift up your rod not only because your bait is way down the fish's throat at that point but more importantly the biggest fish without any question live in those rocks they back into those rocks when the waves break over the rocks they come out in the bubbles for a few seconds they back back in so when you get bit the fish is not just sitting there biting your bait it's got it in its mouth and it has backed into those rocks and if you wait too long you know what you have you have the jetty (laughs) and you don't land the rock you don't land the jetty that's the way that goes yeah exactly hold on a second we got a bunch of great questions coming in but i got to talk about this real real quick from akuma this is the alejos two speed this is a size 12. i like the 12 it it worked perfect on my nine foot rod this thing is a machine you click it in low gear you just wind those yellowfin tune in let me let john brenton talk to you just a couple seconds about this reel then i'll show it to you again and then we'll get back into the surf fishing thing hold on a second bill Hey guys, this is John Bretza, Director of Product Development for Okuma Fishing Tackle. And what I have here is exciting, new, upgraded Alejos two-speed reels. For all you tuna guys, bottom fish guys, anybody that wants something that's super durable, heavy duty, but you can fish lighter tackle, this is it. I refer to this as a mini Makaira. So what we've done with the the Alejos updates is that we've taken the dual force drag system that's in the Makaira and we've mirrored that inside the new Alejos. The other thing that we've done is based on popular demand that we've heard from you anglers out there is that we added a thrust bearing. The same thrust bearing that you'll find in the Makaira is now in the Alejos. So when you fish at really heavy drag pressure, you're gonna eliminate any handle binding and you're gonna have great free spool and you're gonna be able to really put the wood to these big tuna. The other thing that we've also done is that one of the keys to the Makaira drag system is a drag cam and the actual ramp and what it can actually achieve from free spool to strike, but more importantly, 
from strike to full when that fish is in the death circle, the Makaira outperforms everything else. And what we did is we copied the Makaira drag cam and put that in the Lee Hus. So some great uh, benefits there. The other thing, just like the previous Lee Hus, you have 17-4 grade stainless steel gearing. One advantage that you do have, even though I call it a mini Makaira, one advantage it does have is that there's a cast control system. So you can adjust this to real heavy pressure. Say if you're up in Alaska fishing halibut, you got real heavy lead, you can slow that spool down or you can do micro adjustments for say casting uh, sardines or something like that on the West Coast. Uh, the new Alios is gonna be backed by a three-year warranty. This product is now shipping it in the dealer's hands right now. If you wanna find out more information on the Alios, Check it out on okumafishingusa.com. Thank you very much, John. That was a great explanation of that reel. And yeah, I use this Alejos all the time. I love this reel. We caught a bunch of tuna with Grospec the other day. The really thing John didn't talk about is this power handle. This power handle, I don't know how many times I've been fishing where the handle keeps slipping out of my hand when I'm whining and the fish starts to pull. Well, it's tough to get this handle out of your hand. This handle is humongous. You wrap it, wrap your hand around it, wind those tuna in. It's a great reel. It's a phenomenal reel. Next week, Bill, we're going to show you a couple of uh, spinning reels for fishing in the surf with the kuma. I know you have some. We'll talk more about that next week. But I just wanted to throw that out there for you guys. It's time to start getting geared up. I can tell you, with the weather we got and everything, it looks like it's going to be an El Nino. So you might want to get your tuna reels ready because it's probably going to start sooner than we can even think. So get ready. Thank you, Akuma, for sponsoring the show. And thanks for showing us that Alejos reel, John. And so, Bill, we had a question from Steve Duncan that I wanted to know the answer to, too, because, I, you know, I'm on that Let's Talk hookup show with uh, with pete and rick in the mornings and they're every once in a while gundy gets on there and talks about these stripers showing up in the surf mm -hmm. up and down the coast mm -hmm. i personally have only been fishing the ocean since 1974 pretty much every day i've never seen a striper i've never seen a live one i've seen pictures of them but steve duncan bugman's got a great how do we, where, what are we going to do? How are we going to get a striper? Is that going to be something that's possible with all the rain and weather and everything? Or do we have to wait till it gets calmer? I'm sorry. Well, first of all, strippers, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, um, Dave, stripers love that brackish water. They're just like lobster. You know, how the lobster like crawl like crazy after it rains. Same thing happens with the striper. Like if I was to fish striper, I would do two things. One is I would base it around rainy periods where you're going to have brackish water. And then second, I would fish areas where fresh water meets salt water. That was That is where the largest number of them are caught. Um, striper were introduced to Southern California waters, um, which, which would include Huntington Harbor, Newport Harbor, in the early 1970s, the Department of Fish and Game in those days, they planted seven to 20,000 of those in the back harbors. Years and years went by and nobody caught any. Um, really over my surf fishing career, I mean, if I went back to the 70s and 80s, I never even saw one. Occasionally one was caught um, by Bologna Creek, but other than that, there were none. Now, although we're not seeing a huge number of, of them and you can't really target them particularly, they're kind of like an OPA that way. Um, we're seeing a lot more of those from San Diego all the way to San Francisco. 
Um, one thing about stripers is that they are voracious eaters and they cover um, about 30 miles a day swimming, looking for food. So for a, a um, striper to come out of the Delta, to go underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and make it to San Diego is not an impossibility. As a matter of fact, if you work out the math, over a couple, three weeks of swimming, they could basically be in Southern California. So whenever you're striper fishing, you, you want to look for areas where you have brackish water meeting salt water. So Bologna Creek, um, uh, the, any, uh, the LA River, the Santa Ana River, the um, places like Huntington Harbor, um, San Diego's Mission Bay, San Diego Harbor, any of those areas where that fresh water is coming into the salt, even if you're in the inside the harbor, a lot of times you'll find stripers in that area. Stripers also commonly, because once again, they eat everything, they drive fin bait to the surface. Offshore, you'll see maybe off by a jetty in Newport Beach, fish boiling or, or the birds diving. That's when you want to take a crocodile, cast master, a ranger lure, something heavy that you can cast far and try to cast it underneath those birds. And don't be surprised if you get a, a um, striper there. Now, here I'm going to give you a really good example. At first, I was going to show you a real quick picture here if I can. This is the Alejos rocks that they named the... Um, real after i always wondered up here who put those antennas up there boy that must have been fun <laughs> still every time i go down there i still wonder how they got those up there um but if we went back about gosh you know about four let's see now it's been about six years ago my my friend brad buyer was fishing in the santa Ana river at night and I'm looking for his photograph here, if I can find it. And he caught a 45-pound striper in the Santa Ana River. Caught it on six-pound test at 9.15 at night. So the striper we see in California are anywhere from a foot long to four or five feet long. There's some really, really huge ones. I mean, like I said, this, this fish was 45 pounds, which is a, a really big striper. Um, so... They're out there, they're available. You cannot particularly target them, but if I was, once again, I'd be around where the brackish water meets the regular water. And although I've gotten reports over the years where they're caught on everything, strips of squid, the, the one that Brad caught, the 45 pounder, when they opened it up, it was full of sidewinder rock crabs. And then we've had them on sardine, lucky craft, they've been caught on crocodile, cast mesh, all of those. So. The, look for the birds diving, try to target them in, in brackish areas and particularly after storms. That's so cool that you said the sidewinder crab. I never even heard of it, but Jeff from Huntington Beach asked, Bill, do you ever use live sidewinder crabs when you're surf fishing? Well, you just answered that question for Jeff. There's the answer. Yeah. yeah. You got a good chance. Hey, real quick, Nick, mm -hmm. Nick, Nick. Nicholas Pratt's asking a question about that Alejos reel. Yeah, right here on the side, Nick, it's the cast control is a magnetic and it's pushed in or out probably more than likely by a spring. I'm not a realologist. I'm just saying you turn the you turn this for pressure, you back it off to take the pressure off. So yeah, it's got that magnet in there for cast control, which is a big help as you're starting to learn how to cast. All my reels, I keep it backed off as far as I can, but 
Yeah, the reel is phenomenal. And yeah, a lot of people commenting on it. Smooth as silk, just super smooth. The drag system's incredible. But yeah, that casting control, like John talked about on the on the video, it is absolutely a game changer for people that are just starting to learn how to cast. But we got about a half an hour, no, 20 minutes left, gang. Let's get as many questions as we can answer about this surf fishing. But uh, you're welcome, Steve. We'll do the best we can. But I think they're, oh, yeah. In the surf in Southern California, that just blows my mind. I would love to just see a live one, Bill. I hate him. I hate him. (laughs) (laughs) I hate him. (laughs) Um, But going back to Jeff's question about Sidewinder crabs, that's like such an excellent question. I'm going to tell you right now that the seek if you're bait fishing, the secret to success on catching large perch, and I'm talking perch that that will best the state record, which which set by Fred Oakley about 30 years ago, um, with a basically you know about 15, 16 inch perch. I know one been caught is by using sidewinder crabs. Now, now what are sidewinder crabs? Well, scientifically, yeah, they're known as line. There you go. They're known as line shore line l i n e d lined shore crabs. We we know them as sidewinder crabs, just like like we know astronomides because that's the nickname for them because they don't run forward and they don't run backwards. They go kind of sideways on the rocks back and forth as they're running away from you. The benefit of sidewinder crabs is that, um, and, and, and this would amaze most people, if you have a perch that is 12 inches long, it can take a pismo clam and crack the shell. What? How could that be? It's got little tiny teeth. Incredible strength on these, on these uh, fish, these perch. And they have a tendency to eat a lot larger baits than we would normally think they would versus the size of it. So when you use a sidewinder crab, of course, it's got a hard shell on it. It's not like a soft shell sand crab. It's got a hard shell on it, but they're still the favorite food of perch in the winter. Why is that? It's because in the wintertime, when the water in Southern California drops below 60 degrees, all all or a large percentage, like 98% of all sand crabs go into hibernation. That food is not any longer available. So perch congregate near rock structure. Well, what lives on rocks? Well, you have limpets, right? You have mussel and you have, you know, starfish, but you have um, sidewinder crabs that live in between and on the cracks and the crags and on those rocks. When a wave breaks on, a big wave comes along, a rogue wave, and it breaks on that breakwater, it washes some of those crabs into the water, and those big perch that, once again, have backed themselves in the rocks come out and they gobble up that sidewinder. Now, if I go to the beach, like for, I'll give you a real good example. When I go fishing up in Haloma, so where's Haloma? Haloma is above Santa Barbara between Vandenberg Air Force Base and the Hollister Ranch, so it's about... 30 miles north of Santa Barbara, probably some of the best barred perch fishing in all of California. There are tons of little ones there. Let's say they're six inches to 10 inches, maybe. Fun to catch, but I'm I'm looking for 15, 17 inches, some huge fish. So if I am to use a soft bait, like a worm or a mussel, all those little ones will get to it first and eat it. 
If I use a sidewinder crab because it's so hard and it's so hardy, only the biggest fish will be able to eat those. It will basically filter out all the small perch and I'll only catch big perch with the sidewinder crab. So sidewinder crabs, very effective to use in the winter. They're my favorite bait for perch in the winter. Fish them again, once again, on the Carolina rig using those two examples. Long, long leader if I'm on an open beach, very short leader when I'm near rocks. Almost always you're going to fish them near rocks because, of course, that's where they occur. They don't occur on the open beach. That's all sand. If you are to cast it out in the middle of Huntington Beach where it's all sand, fish are going to swim by it and look at it like, wow, that's unusual. I'm not going to eat that because that's how Bob got it. He disappeared from the family when he ate that weird thing. So they're not going to eat it. They're going to want to find it near rocks where it naturally occurs. So the next thing is, and I need to let my dog out here in a second. The next thing is that, well, how do we catch signed winder crabs? Now, if you're 12 years old, you're super quick. You're agile. You're quick on your feet. You're bright. You can probably chase them around the rocks and grab one or two here and there. As you get older, that gets a little bit more difficult. So there's a couple ways to do it. One way is I go down, I look at those astronomical low tides. So all of the rocks are available now at the beach. Unless once again, I go to Newport Beach, to the jetties. The whole rock structure of the jetty is out of water, basically. So I've got all those rocks to look for. I take a butter knife with me, and I just go and I work through the cracks, and I try to pop them out of the cracks. And then I put in my little bait bucket or a little plastic container I've got with me because they have claws, and they will pinch you, so you can't just put them in your pocket. Uh, so that's one way. A second way to do it is that you're going to take a coffee can, um, regular size coffee can is fine. I poke a little hole in the top of it so I can put some string on there. I get a muscle, I crack the muscle open, take the shell muscle and all, I throw it in the bottom of the coffee can. I walk up on the, irregardless of the, or regardless rather of the tide, I walk up on the jetty, I let it down between the rocks and jetty. You know how like you walk out the jetty and you can hear the water rushing below you? It's kind of a weird feeling because you can't see it, but you hear it down there. Well, I find a break in the rocks and I drop my can between those rocks and I lay it down on its side a little bit and leave this string up above and then fish for 20 minutes, come back, pull the string up. The can's got them in there. They climb in there to feed in the can. And then the last way to find them, the by far the easiest way to find them, and I always tell people, be sure to wear um, Promar or, or any type of lobster type of gloves. There's a lot of really sharp rocks um, sharp shells, glass, and things in the rocks. I go to areas inside harbors, um, Santa Ana River, LA River, areas like that that have rocks about the size of a shoebox, and I just turn over those rocks at low tide, and nine times out of ten, there's five or six running around right underneath them. I pick them up, and in ten minutes, I've got 20 of them. I'm ready to go. And then the last thing about sidewinder crabs is they're really, really hardy. They're not like a sand crab or a trout or something like that, which you take it out of the water and within a day or two, it dies. They will live a couple, three weeks in your garage should your wife or your significant other not throw them in the trash can. 
All you need to do is just put them in a plastic container. I collect a few rocks from the beach, you know, little little rocks about this size, you know, from the beach. So they've got some stuff to live on in there. Um, and I get the rocks wet with salt water. And then I, and there's no water in there, just kind of the plastic and it's a little moist in there. Of course, the rocks are, are moist and wet. And I put them in there with a top on them. And then once every about three days, I'll, I'll have brought home some smaller, um, off, right off the same rocks, some smaller mussel with me. I'll just crack one open with a hammer, drop it in there so they've got something to eat. If you don't do that, if you don't feed them about every three days, you'll notice a couple things. The first thing you'll notice is that there were seven yesterday. Now there's only five. And then a few days later, you'll notice there's only one, but it's a really big one now. So <laughs> give them a little food, regardless of what the food is, give them a little food so they don't eat one another. And then really the very last thing is that Ron Schmidt, who holds several California state surf fishing records, known as Sidewinder Ron, and I won't talk about him today, but one day we'll get a chance to talk about him, make some jokes about, about Ron, what a great guy. Um, he always tells me that he breaks off those two front claws and throws them out in front of him where he's surf fishing as kind of a chum line. And he said, the reason that I do that is because some of those claws are so big, they actually will pinch the nose of the fish as it's trying to bite them and you won't get the fish. So there's everything you need to know about side. Okay, real quick. We got to talk about this because I can't even believe we blew through an hour again, but we didn't even talk about this. Bill Varney is going to be at the Bard Hall show. He's going to be doing exactly what you're doing right now on this show, but you guys are going to be able to come up to him and talk to him and meet him and be a part of this seminar. You can ask him questions when he's on stage. He'll be doing what he's doing right now live at the Long Beach Convention Center at the Bard Hall Show. I'm going to be there also. They have a stagger, though. We're not going to be speaking on top of each other, which will be good because a lot of people are going to be there to see you and, and me. But, gang, Bill has talked with Bart and Pat, and they put together something just for the Your Saltwater Guide people. You're going to get to save on your tickets $2 per ticket. That's going to be a great savings. It's going to help you pay for the parking there. And you're going to get to come and see Bill and I speak at the show. Bill, talk about the show a little bit because we're going to take a few seconds of the, this show to talk about the show. We're both excited to come to. Yeah, we're, we're super excited about the show. Um, first of all, you know, Dave and I, are, I I'm going to be there all four days. Dave will be there two days. We're going to have regular seminars for you to come during those days where we, you have 45 minutes or an hour or so to, you know, talk about, in my case, light line surf fishing. And, and what I love to talk about is rod and reel combinations, rigging the baits that we use, in other words, how to catch those baits, where to find those baits, how to keep them alive and how to hook them correctly, and then where to find fish on the beach. And then on Friday, we're having a pre-show seminar that will be from 10 to noon. And the charge is $40 for that. It includes entrance to the show. You'll get a special entrance. You'll be coming, you'll come into the building. You'll never go outside again. We've got a back door. It takes you right into the middle of the floor after the seminar's over. And I'm going to be joined by Cabo Surfcaster Wes Bra, who is an incredible surf fisherman. Um, I don't know if you've seen pictures. If you, if you want to take a second today and go to Facebook and look under Cabo Surfcaster, your mind will be blown by the size of some of these Dorado, Lemon Sharks, Grouper, Sierra, all of which he's caught from the beach right up the road 
15 minutes from, from Dave's house. So we're going to be there from uh, 10 to noon on Friday doing the pre-show seminar. It's going to be fantastic. It benefits CCA. We're going to have an unbelievable raffle. We've got rods and reels from Okuma. We've got lures and clothes from AFCO. We've got hooks and lures from Gamagatsu. And the list just goes on and on. So we'd love to have you there. I did get a note yesterday from um, the person who's taking care of the ticketing for the pre-show seminar and it's already partially sold out so if you do want a ticket you know be sure to, to click on this this link in front of you on the screen or go to hallshows.com and look up the tickets and get one there before they're gone that's great to let everybody know that it's almost sold out gang it's going to be important to make sure that you show up at the show early it's going to be very very crowded at the show you want to make sure you get there early. Go let the dogs out. I got this for a minute. You want to get there early, Danny? Thank you. I'm going to be speaking on the main stage with uh, Larry Hansen. We're going to be talking about Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance and fishing with Kelly Girl and I up in Alaska or fishing with us down here in the Baja at Lopez Mateos. You see all those videos I post all the time, how beautiful that is. And then Kelly Girl and I are super excited to fish with you guys in September at the lodge up there in Gustavus, Alaska. It's going to be an incredible time. We're going to be talking about all that at noon. And then at three o'clock, both Saturday and Sunday, I'll be going full Dave Hansen on stage. I'm the only guy that does a seminar that when I come off, I need a towel to wipe the sweat off because I am so indeficient and I like to run around and talk and all the children that attend my seminars get free stuff, gangs, and don't be afraid to bring your children. I work very, very clean always. And if I do say a bad word, all the children in the audience get more free stuff. So most of the time, the children are begging for me to say something bad, which is not how it's supposed to be. But gang, I work very clean and it's all about the children, gang. And I'm going to start off each day, both Saturday and Sunday, in the CCA booth outside. Then... Once the doors open and I got to start my seminar, I'm going to do my seminar at noon. Then I'm going to come back to the indoor CCA booth. I'm going to be hanging out there because like Bill and I keep telling you, and it's super important, gang, we are under attack. I want you to hear, I think I got a guy here that'll kind of blow this right where it's supposed to be, gang. This is real. And we need to all be involved with CCA. This is so real. Oh, there is a concern that some today would like to see no fishing whatsoever anywhere in the United States, especially in California. That is, we, we were told that 10 years ago at meetings, that our goal is to see fishing abolished. I pray to God it doesn't happen. Gang, that's what we're talking about. That's why Bill and I talk about CCA all the time, how important it is. It's the only voice that we have at the table, right, Bill? I, we want to get to all your questions, but gang, it's super important to understand. Swing by the CCA booth. There's donations. Bill, talk about the the what you're always telling everybody about how, because I'm a lifetime member and uh, you got another thing going on where they take a little bit out of your out of your account every month. You don't even feel it. Talk about that for just a sec. Exactly. Um, I, I also, of course, am a lifetime member and I've been a board member for, gosh, it's going to come up here on 10 years here pretty soon. Um, you know, there's nobody to represent the angler 
in California, but Coastal Conservation Association. Even though there's 1.7 million licenses sold every year, and that's a lot of people. I mean, gosh, if we ganged up, we could have anything we wanted in this state. But fishing just by nature is not a group sport. It's an individual sport. And it's kind of like being on the swim team, you know, you either produce or you don't produce. You don't have a team to back you up. So CCA is your team. And besides them looking out for your rights as an angler, they're working on hatchery science, which we've seen, of course, with the sea bass over the years, which is just fantastic. And they're then they work on habitat restoration projects, taking kids fishing, takes veterans fishing, all of those kind of things. You can join, uh, joining is $40 a year. And what's great about joining is not only are you helping them financially, but you get a quarterly magazine, Tide magazine, which comes out of their um, headquarters in, in Texas. Um, and of course, I think CCA now is in 22 different states, started in Texas. And they send out this great magazine, Tide, which has the, high, the best written articles on it. And it's really interesting because there are articles about fishing all around the country on the coast. From Massachusetts to Florida, from Florida to Texas, from Texas to California, and California to the Canadian border. Um, so you can just pay a one-time fee of $40 and become a member, or you can do what I've done. I, I became a life member by donating $1,000, which is tax deductible. They're a 5013C uh, nonprofit organization, so that's good. But better than that for me, I decided, as a lot of members have done, to donate on a regular basis every single month. And you can set it up so it comes out of a PayPal account, your checking account, a credit card. I donate $10 a month, $10. That's $120 additionally a year. And believe me, when $10 a month shows up on my credit card, I mean, it's like one fourth of what I spend on food in four days. It's less than a cup of coffee at some places. Like it's nothing. And every single bit helps. That's the thing, Dave, is that we don't need everybody to give $1,000 or $5,000. We would love that. But if everybody just gave a little, just $5 a month, just set it up for $5, you won't even notice it. That's $60 a year. All of that will group up together like coming into a bucket and become the money that we need to continue to fight for anglers' rights in California and really all the way around the country. Yeah, yeah, you don't understand. Like Bill talks about, I talk about it. We try to bring it up on the show every once in a while. We try not to be negative on the show, but we are under attack in the United States of America, and especially here in California, where they do not want us fishing. They do not want to see your children catching a fish. They do not want to see that big smile on your kid's face. They do not want to see you tan. If they see you tan and you're smiling, they're going to figure out how to get that tan off you and how to wipe that smile off your face. So what they've done is they've taken, what they're doing is they're just taking a little bit at a time, just a little bit, a little bit, yep. a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then pretty soon they've got it all. They want it all. Like Frank Lepresti just said on that video, they want it all that for some reason they don't want us fishing. We gotta, we gotta band together. Like Bill said, it's an individual sport. And a lot of times we don't share with each other what we're doing out there on the water. This one's super important, gang. I cannot imagine my grandchildren not getting to do what I got to do, not getting to have the passion that Bill and I have when we sit down here and talk. I'm sorry that we went into that for a little bit here on the show, but we both are very passionate about keeping fishing open. It's important. 
It's super important. We cannot emphasize it enough. The QR code's mm -hmm. right there for CCA California. Come and see me. Come and see Bill at the Bard Hall Show in Long Beach, California. It's going to be on the 25th, the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th. It's a four-day show. There is so much at the show to do, right, Bill? It's just not fishing. There's everything. There's the Lumberjack show outside. There's the duck races. There's so much cool stuff going on. The trout pond. I was talking to Bart yesterday. How many children that are now adults that are now have kids caught their first fish in the trout pond? I mean, we can go back. Lineage I, I, goes I, way back. <laughs> My dad used to do exactly. this show with Bart's dad back in the, the 60s. Mm. They were doing this Bart Hall show. It's it's a cr crazy show. You want to be there with us? We got a few minutes left. I'm wrapping it up here. But uh, we got any burning questions, Bill, that you see over there on the right that we think we need to answer here before we wrap it up? Yeah, I'm not seeing the questions on my screen. Oh, you aren't? Okay. Let me look real quick. I'm sorry. I'm just looking through here to see if there's any. And if guys, I know I want to answer everybody's question. I'm just seeing if there's something on here. I'm just seeing if there's anything at all on here to talk about. Who is they, Dave? You need to be a bit more specific. Oh, my gosh. If you hang in there and watch me more, I'll tell you who they are. We do not have time today to tell you who they are, but they are on a mission to stop fishing. It's it's crazy. If you can't see who they are right now, you need to go outside a little bit more and go look around because they are the ones running <laughs> the country right now. They are the ones in charge, gang. They're the ones. They are the ones. The governor of the great state of California would love nothing more than for us to all sit inside and never go outside and never enjoy the great state of California. So that's who they are. And Hewlett are the Packer Foundation, the people with all the money. That's why it's so important for us to just be together. I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this just because I want to get views. I'm telling you this because it's absolutely true. My father, Randy, who was very, very well off in the industry and didn't need to, didn't need to do anything else special. He was fighting this fight on a daily basis to keep fishing open for all of us. And he was working his butt off all the time, flying all over the world because before we lost my father, he knew how important it was to keep the people fishing. He knew how important it was to keep children fishing. My dad, Bill, you know my dad. He didn't need to do what he was doing, but he did it for us. Mm -hmm. He did it so that we could go fishing. My dad didn't need to do it. He could have retired years before, but he worked until he died on this keeping fishing open thing. And we, we lost my father when he was 87 years old, but he fought the fought forever. And he made sure if you guys Google Donald K. Hansen and look at all the things he did to keep fishing open, then you'll understand how important it is to Bill and I. We got to keep this thing open, right, Bill? Well, well, we do. And of course, Dave, your dad was like the original CCA. He was like a one man, you know, battalion going after these people. Now, 
if we went back a few years, they weren't so, quite so rabid about this closure thing and about this DEI and all this mumbo jumbo. Um, and they've and like they've just gotten more and more and more and more into it as time has gone on. And of course, what powered it over the last decade, and in particularly over the last four years, was a really growing economy that we had four years ago, where the economy was just going gangbusters. So California had tons of tax revenue, and then that went, when that that ended, they got this ginormous influx of money from COVID from the federal government that has created this giant deficit for us. And that financed all of their, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to do this. and We're going to do that. And, and that was what really powered it. Now that the state has a you know, 60 to 80 billion dollar deficit, it'll be really interesting to see what they cut back on. And, and I, I do think that, you know, along those lines, we're going to see this um, wind farm initiative situation uh, probably go down the drain now because the largest producers of wind farms in the world, which is from Norway, Nor um, or, or Norsk, I think they're called, uh, is their name, um, has backed out of New Jersey and lost billions of dollars there and is no longer going to do any of the, the East Coast uh, wind farms because they can't make a profit at it. So I think we're going to see some reprieve, hopefully, that in that of California. But yeah, you got you to join and you got to believe in, in the fact that you want to continue to be an angler because uh, as, as Dave says, they just take little chunks of it away. And before you know it, you're like, where'd it go? Because you kind of yeah. didn't realize that they were taking yeah. your freedom away. Gang, I want to tell you one more time. Bill and I will both be at the Bard Hall show. We're going to be there. We're going to be talking to you just like this. We're going to be talking to you. We can even talk a little more openly because... This forum, this podcast is seen all over the world by lots of people. We have to be very, very careful on what we say because the last thing we want to do is get shut down. We have a phenomenal audience. This podcast goes booming out all over the place. Bill and I have to pick our words carefully. When you ask us who they are, we have to be very careful. But when you come up to us at the Fart Hall Show, we're going to be telling you the truth. We're going to be telling you the truth. So, Bill, where are you going to be hanging out when you're not on stage doing your great seminars? Um, I'm, I have a booth there at the show. We, of course, we don't know the exact layout yet of the show, but it'll be somewhere near Turner's. But we've got a booth there and we've got all of the newest gear and surf fishing. We've got rod and reel combinations, rigging, uh, hand-tied flies, all kinds of great stuff, books, everything that you need to be a successful angler on the beach. But besides that, I just love talking to people, as you can tell. I have a real passion for surf fishing. I love folks to come and show me their pictures, tell me their stories. I learned something from everybody. I hope they learn a little bit from me too. And, and it's just a fantastic time. I really look forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm super excited about it. Listen, if you show up wearing one of my shirts, if you show up and you're wearing a Your Saltwater Guide shirt, gang, I've already talked to Promar and I already talked to Akuma. We're going to have some stuff for you. We're going to have some free gifts for you. I'll be handing it out while I'm up on stage. Besides all the stuff I'm going to have for children, I talked to my sister over at Dana Orr Sport Fishing. We're going to have plenty of stuff for the kids. But if you're an adult and you show up wearing one of my shirts or one of my hats, and you can get those at my store, your saltwater guide to store. And I can put that up for you in a minute. We've gone way over time, Bill. And I know your poor dog's probably outside freezing to death right now. But uh, we're super excited about the Bard Hall show because we want to talk to all of you. We want to get down and dirty and talk to you. I want to be at that CCA booth. Gang, you got to understand, though. Not that I'm some superstar big deal. 
But when we're out there on the show floor and we're at that CCA booth, you got to understand there's a lot of people that are going to be standing in line for an opportunity to come up and talk to me or Bill. Let's give everybody their opportunity to talk to us. Okay. So just be cognizant of what's going on around you because like last year when I was at the trade shows gang, it was overwhelming the amount of people. Cause I don't know why for some reason we're getting like 20 to 30 million views a month right now. We got a huge audience. We have 600,000 plus followers and this podcast is going bananas. So be cognizant. I will try to talk to each and every one of you. Bill will do his very best. But as you can tell, we both have plenty of words and we love to talk. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll try to get to everybody as best we can. But grab those tickets, gang. Bill, tell them how important. I'm the only one given $2 off tick opportunity to get a ticket. Put yeah. in the code YSWG2024. Those of you that are listening to the podcast and those of you that are watching it, grab the QR code. But yeah, Bill, tell them how special it is to get this discount. You know, that's really true. You know, Dave is the only one who has a way to get a $2 discount on tickets for his his uh, viewers. And nobody else has that. You can't go up to the, there's no coupon. You can't go up to the window and say, hey, I want two bucks off. I know Dave or I know Bill or <laughs> I love those guys or I hate those guys or whatever. You have to grab that QR code to get that. And of course, there's going to be a limited time on those, <clears throat> on that discount on the ticket at some point before the show begins, they're going to discontinue that discount. So it's good to get your tickets in advance and you're all ready to go. And all you have to do is drive down there, show them your ticket, walk in, you're ready to rock and roll. And look for me and Bill. We're going to be there. We're going to be shaking hands and kissing babies. We want to talk to all of you. Okay. If we didn't get to your questions, here's something that's really cool. Next week on this show on Wednesday, we're going to have Bill. But we're going to have Bart and we're going to have Pat. So we're going to get to your questions. It's going to be all about the Bart Hall show. The whole show next week, the whole hour and whatever. We're probably going to run over next week too. But we're going to have the man, Bart Hall. We're going to have Pat McDonald. We're going to have Bill Barney. And I'll kind of just sit back and stay out of the way because these guys have a lot to talk about. You want to talk to Bart. This is going to be your opportunity to talk to Bart. You can share with him how you caught your first trout at his father's show or you caught your grandchild's first trout at his show, whatever. We're going to be available for everybody. We'll answer everyone's questions. I want to thank Bill so much for taking an hour out of your day. I can hear your puppy outside. He's freezing to death. He wants to get in. He's done. Gang, okay, thank you, everybody, there's for watching. There's the three of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody I got three of them the show. Bart, thank you for being on the show and answering questions on the side for everybody. We appreciate you being on here. This is what we do every day, gang. Monday through Friday, 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. If you want to be entertained on your lunch hour, I've been doing this. Elliot and I looked at it this morning. I've done over 3,000 of these, Bill. Wow, that's crazy. And, and I want everybody else to know too, if you're if you're watching on Facebook and you have a surf fishing question for me, just put it on where you're watching. And when we get done here in, in 10 minutes or so, I'll go over and I'll answer all of your questions on there. Yeah, it'll be unbelievable. We'll try to do the Ventura show, Mike Lewis. I don't really know. You know, it's a big deal for me to come from Cabo up to the show. 
I made a big commitment to Bart to come up there and be a part of the Bar Hall show. It's a big deal, though. I'm leaving my beautiful wife. I'm leaving my monkey. And I'm coming up to Long Beach to talk to you guys. So take advantage of it and come see us. It'll be worth it. I promise I'll entertain you. I promise I won't let you down. And Bill, Bill, you can tell. It's just a phenomenal time listening to Bill. You can come see me. I'll get you all wound up. Then you can go over and listen to Bill and calm back down. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you very much. Let's go let Bill take care of his dog. See ya.